Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. We're gonna get into the Word of God together. Revelation chapter two. We're gonna unpack the book of Revelation today. I have avoided this book for a really long time, not gonna lie to y'all. <laughs> and today's the day. Revelation chapter two, verse seven, it says this many times throughout chapters two and three, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. I gotta tell you, the Holy Spirit is still speaking to His church today. And He has a lot to say to us. So why don't you let me pray for you at the beginning of this message. Lift your hands towards heaven. Father, I just thank You that Your Holy Spirit, who has been with us, establishing the church and pushing the church forward for years and years now since its start. God, I pray that You would bring a word of revelation to us today. Illuminate the things that need to be illuminated to us. Lord, I pray that Your Word would come to life within us today, transforming us from the inside out so that we will never be the same again. Father, we thank You for Your power and Your presence with us. And everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, you can take your seat. High five somebody next to you. Ask them, do you have ears to hear? You got your listening ears on today? You got them, Pastor Vance. Okay, so we've been in our series, Where the Hell is Heaven? And um, who's been enjoying it? Been having fun in this series. We've unpacked so many things. My husband has done a brilliant job of unpacking some of these things that we've been unpacking. He talked about in the first week, the seen and the unseen realm. Okay, he highlighted for us that there is a seen realm and there is an unseen realm. He unpacked things like preeminent domain. He unpacked the, the temple garden in Eden and how it is our job to reclaim everything that the enemy has stolen as Christians on the earth. So we are taking back, we are not on the back foot, we are in fact the aggressors. That was a powerful message. In week two, we talked about angels. We talked about things like seraphim and cherubim and uh, malachim. And, you know, he unpacked all of these things. And then he unpacked the, the idea of guardian angels. You know, we talked about Daniel. We talked about the angel that came to him to help him, you know, minister to him. And so we, we talked about that. We talked about demons in week three. Who liked that one? You know, a lot of people have been avoiding the topic of demons, thinking that they, you know, if they just pretend like they don't exist, that they're gonna be safe. But he really broke that myth on us. And, and, re, and, and the, the concept of that message was that we un, need to understand that we need to be known in the spiritual realm to be safe in the spiritual realm from the demonic attacks that come our way. And so then in week four, last week, he unpacked spiritual warfare for us. He taught us to love truth and to hate lies and to put on the full armour of God. 
And so today we are gonna turn to the book of Revelation. We're gonna, we started at the beginning with the temple garden in Eden. Now we're going to the end of the book Revelation that talks about the temple garden of Jerusalem, that God is gonna bring everything together in the end. He's gonna wrap it all up. And so we're gonna go there today. And, um, and I just wondered if you could ask yourself today, do you have ears to hear? Have you got your listening ears on? I mean, I know we've got physical ears. Hopefully, we have physical ears in this place. But do you have your spiritual ears on to hear what it is that the Lord is speaking today? Because I believe that He has a word for us. You know, um, sometimes I find that our hearing can be a little bit off. Anybody else relate? Okay, so you know when you repeat back to somebody what it is that they that you heard and they look at you like how did you get that? Because it's completely different to what you thought they said. Well, last night my husband was just sitting on the couch next to me and Medea was on the right and and she leaned over and she said, "Dad, what movie are you going to watch?" and he mumbles Takers and she turns back Tickles and uh, I got to sit in the begin, in the middle of this, you know, exchange. I think she's been watching too much Elmo, and um, and she's just like, you know, heard something different in the exchange. I do it all the time. I do it in conversations with my family. I do it when I'm listening to music. Anybody put other words in the music? Like I thought for years that Adele was chasing pavements. She, payments, but she's chasing pay, pavements. I asked Pastor Carly one day, I'm like, what's the payments that she's like trying? <laughs> she's like, she's chasing pavements, okay. Um, the other week I asked Zali, I said, hey Zali, um, you know, what's this new phrase that all the kids are using, um, catch fish, you know? And she goes, mom, the song's catch feels. Don't be afraid to catch feels. And I'm like, oh, we're catching fish together, you know? <laughs> I don't know why I read into it like that. But we do that all the time with the Word of God. We read stuff into the text. We inject stuff into the text that was never actually ever there. And this has been happening with the book of Revelation for years and years. People have read stuff into the text that was never ever in there to begin with. Dispensationalists have had like a really great time with the book of Revelation. And so, you know, I was talking to somebody this week in our church and she was telling me, oh, you're preaching on the book of Revelation? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, I, um, I've not visited that book since the second grade. And I was like, what happened in the second grade? And she said, well, my Sunday school teacher told me that when the Antichrist comes back, that he is going to capture all the Christians and he's going to take them to a camp. And in the camp are water slides. And the water slides you are going to be made to go down the water slide, but on the water slide are all these razors. And the children are going to be chopped up into pieces as they go down the water slide to their death. <laughs> we do not teach that stuff in Royal Kids, okay? We vet our teachers and we make sure they are not teaching this stuff. I was like, no wonder y'all in the 80s went home and glued together the book of Revelation so you never had to read it again. I got saved 
a little bit after that, so I didn't get exposed to all of those crazy theories that maybe some of you have been told is what is gonna happen in the end times. But I wanna break that for you today because you know some of us avoid the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation is a wonderful book. It is a book that speaks to Christians today. It has a word in season for us. And it's, it's Jesus, he's basically list, like talking to his church in this book. And if you go to verse three, it actually says, um, if you read the top verse, but verse three, it reveals that blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the pro- this prophecy. Thank you, Lord. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. There's a blessing on unpacking this book. There's a blessing on reading it. And when we actually understand what is taking place in this book, we see that there is a, it is a heavenly perspective on the victory of God as things begin to wrap up at the end. And so it's really beautiful when we talk about, you know, this book of Revelation, it it reveals in the first five words what the book is actually about. And so it says in verse one of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ is what the book of Revelation is about. This book is unpacking Him. It's not a revelation of the mark of the beast. It's not a revelation of Armageddon. It's not a revelation of the dragon. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ coming in all His authority and all His power to reclaim His bride, the church. And so we understand a few things about the book of Revelation. Um, The author is actually John, John the Apostle. Um, and John, who wrote about himself, I am the beloved. I am, I am the one Jesus loves. Um, and so he wrote that, he wrote the book of Revelation, but he didn't write it when he was young, when he first met Jesus and he became his disciple. He wrote it when he was much older. And so it actually sort of tells us that there's, this is John's prophetic vision that is given to him by Jesus and we need to understand that, that John was a leader in the church, that he was actually exiled when he wrote this. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. Um, and you know, the island of Patmos was kind of like the Roman Alcatraz. Okay, so it, it kind of says that under the reign of Domitian that said that he was boiled Um, He was persecuted, he was boiled in oil and survived. And after that, because he's so BA, he's on this island of Patmos and he's writing this book of Revelation. It's said that this book was written around 90 AD, okay, which makes it one of the oldest books or the last books that were written in the Bible. And it's interesting because it's one of the last books written on final things. So it's really cool. And the visions throughout this book, they represent events occurring over various points of the church age. And we need to understand that the church age began at Pentecost, okay? It began as the Holy Spirit poured out in Acts chapter two, and we have been in the church age since then, okay? And so to some measure at least as John's writing this, this letter, some of these things are already occurring for him, 
Okay, so sometimes we think, oh, this is like what happens in the end times. We've been in the end times for a really long time. Okay, and, and so he, he's, he's writing these letters to churches in chapters two and three. That's where I'm gonna predominantly focus the message around today. And these seven churches that he is writing to, they actually represent the universal church because seven we know is the number of completion. And so, yes, they are to specific churches that he writes, but as a whole, it speaks to the universal church. And if it spoke to the universal church then, then it speaks to the universal church today. Okay, and so, so we're gonna talk about that. And, and so the structure of these seven letters, if you go through chapters two and chapters three, we see that, you know, that, that there is, um, in chapter seven, the letters to the churches are addressed through an angel. How cool is that? It's an angel who in some sense represents them in heaven, okay? And so the, it shows that these churches that they have help, okay? When God put the church on the earth, He didn't leave us helpless. He left us with, with this, you know, this connection between the seen and the unseen realm that He infuses power in the church constantly. And, and so we, these angels in the form of, of designated angelic representatives are acting on these churches' behalf in heaven and it's a really cool interplay of seeing how heaven and earth are interconnected. We, we saw that when my husband was preaching and he was talking about Daniel and he talked about how Michael came and he sent a message and all of that, okay? And so we see that this is what's taking place. But following this, we see that Christ presents himself to the church and the situation in the church is outlined, and the way that he presents himself to the seven churches is different in every setting because he brings what they need. He brings what they are lacking. So to the Ephesian church, he comes with the seven stars in his hand and he walks among the seven lampstands. And this is beautiful because it reveals the fact that he is familiar with the life of his churches. Jesus isn't like far off. He doesn't know what you're thinking or what you're doing or He's left the churches to their own demise. No, He is walking with the angels amongst the churches. He sees what's happening in the churches. He hears the conversations in the churches. He assesses what's really going on. We can present like we've got things all together, but Jesus comes in and He points out and He locates some things. And so to the church in Smyrna, he comes as the first and the last. You see, this was the persecuted church. These were the people who were, you know, enduring great persecution. So to him, he comes revealing that he holds the crown of life. That you may lose your life in this world, but I have the crown of life and I will have the final say and justice will be done. And so to the church in Pergamum, he comes as he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And let me tell you, when Jesus comes as the sharp two-edged sword, what he's revealing is that he himself is the authority over the church. And at the same time, he is the authority over the kingdom of darkness that it is a two-edged sword. Then to Thyatira, the church in Thyatira, he comes as the Son of God. 
That's really cool. And then to um, Sardis, the church in Sardis, he comes um, as he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We need to understand again that the seven stars are the angels, but that the seven spirits is not seven spirits, it's actually the completion, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So there is both heavenly support and supernatural power for this church to experience spiritual revival. So he brings, can you see what he's doing? To the church in Philadelphia, he comes as he who is holy and he who is true. And then to the church in Laodicea, he comes as the amen, the faithful and the true witness. So here we see Christ revealing himself to these churches. Then do you know what he does? He reveals where they're at. Because that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. There is a revelation, there is a realization of some things that we didn't see before. He unveils things. And so here he is in the book of Revelation unveiling some truths for these churches. And so it's beautiful because he speaks to them and to some he encourages. To two of the churches he encourages, but to the other five, he's writing to them and he is asking them to repent. And so to the church in Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love. He says, you do all these amazing things and you are great with doctrine and you've held the line on all of that, but you know, you've lost your first love. You don't love me more than you love yourself. You are losing your prophetic witness in the world because there is no love seen in the community. There's no love seen for the lost. If you love me, then the way you love me is how you love each other. And he's assessing that there's a little bit of a lack of love going around there. You've become complacent and you need to come back to me. And he says, if you don't come back to me, your light, I'm gonna take your lampstand off its lampstand, your light, and, you, and I'm gonna take you into darkness. And so to the church in Smyrna, he encourages them. And he encourages them because as times of tribulation mark the church age, some are asked to persevere. And we don't all in this setting here experience persecution like some people in our online setting who are watching from countries and places in the world where they are persecuted every day for their faith. And this is the Smyrna church and he's encouraging them and he's saying, you've been chosen to reveal the sovereign purposes of God. So I'm gonna encourage you to persevere because just like the devil took Jesus and put Him on the cross, and thought that he could beat faith out of him or thought that he could, you know, take, remove his influence in the earth. He defeated death and conquered it. And that is exactly what's gonna happen. You may lose your life, but in the end, I'm gonna give you the crown of life, which overrules all of that. So persevere, don't give up. And so to the church in Pergamum, he, he says to them, I want you to repent. I want you to repent of your compromise because your tolerance of social pressures is a form of sin itself. So this is Jesus coming, coming at them. Thyatira, the church in Thyatira, he says, I want you to repent of the liberal teaching Jezebel has been feeding you. 
Stay faithful to my word and to my truth. This is Jesus saying this to his church. Sardis, the church in Sardis, he says, I want you to repent of of being the walking dead. You carry a name that says you are alive, but there is no life in you. You're living off past experiences, past things, but there is no life in you for today. You need a renewal, is what he's saying. Then to the church in Philadelphia, he says, I'm gonna encourage you, keep your witness. Keep on witnessing. Don't grow weary in doing good because I'm gonna produce a mighty harvest through you. You're about to produce some amazing fruit, so don't give up your witness. And then to the church in Laodicea, he says, I want you to repent because you are lukewarm. And there is nothing worse than being lukewarm. And so he he asked them to repent. And we hear all these things. And we thought Paul was savage when he addressed the church. But here we have savage Jesus addressing the church. But I don't want you to miss the point of the conversation because there's plenty of times when my kids would have been playing out in the field, playing on the play gym with their friends, and they just got distracted by life and distracted by their friends, and they move like this, and before they know it, they are starting to move away from the proximity of me, and they don't mean to, they think that they're near me, but they've just lost sight of me, and this is Jesus with His church, and He's not saying, repent because I hate you, repent because I'm an angry God, God, repent because, you know, I just need to take my wrath out on someone. No, this is God saying to His church that He loves. This is a callback. Hey, can you hear me? You're moving in a direction that I'm not in. You're putting your amen on stuff that I don't have my amen on. You're walking out of my protection and I'm calling you back. This is a callback. And so often we look at this thing or we hear this word repentance and we have this allergic reaction to it. And we feel like God is just wanting to smite us. No, God loves you so much that He's drawing you back. He's drawing you into His presence. And so so this is what the book of Revelation reveals. It reveals Jesus writing to seven churches particularly, but it is not limited to them. This is for the universal church. This is for His bride. And so when, when I say church, you think lots of things. Some of you are probably thinking um, today, you're thinking, I'm in church right now. I'm in the church service. Yes, this is you know, where we do worship and this is a great gathering and all of that. And, and ch- church services are a great seen element of the church. But I want you to remember that the church is seen and unseen. And so an example of the unseen church would be the universal church, would be the body of Christ that has, you know, it's like the cloud of witnesses. It's like those that have gone before us, okay? And so yes, when we gather together corporately to worship, yes, we serve and yes, we give and yes, we glorify God and yes, we magnify Him and we commune together, but we are being woven into something that is so much greater than this expression here right now. We have been woven into the fabric of the church throughout time over history. And so we as the church today, here and now, are the seen 
component of the body of Christ on the earth today. Okay, and so, so it's important that we understand what the Bible reveals about what our plan is to be the church. Okay, not what the world's idea of what the church is, because there's a lot of worldly churches out there that Jesus isn't in. Okay, and so, and so we have to go off His pattern. And Paul talks about it like this. He talks to Timothy and he says, um, so that, so that I'm, if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. There's a conduct that the people of God are to have. Okay, and so he says, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. If you are wondering what the church's job is today, the church's job is to protect the truth and to ensure it does not fall. That is our job, that is our mission. That the truth does not fall in our midst, in our community, and so that the tr truth does not fall in the streets in our society. Isaiah 59, he said it, Isaiah said it best and correctly when he said in Isaiah 59, 14, truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. You see, the modern church of Jesus Christ that you and I make up, the seen component of the church on the earth today is a place where truth is spoken. It is a place where truth is preserved. It is a place where truth is guarded. Do you know why? Because Jesus loves the hell out of people. He's not confused about what the church is here to do. And so that's what truth does. When you start to speak the truth to someone, they start manifesting. That's, that's, that's a necessary component for freedom. Okay, you gotta love people enough to tell them the truth. See, this is the place where, where real love is expressed. Real love tells you that you're walking out of the toilet with toilet paper hanging off your butt. Real love doesn't send you into society, you know, pretending like you're something that you're not, okay? The, the place where true emotional richness is experienced is in the house of God. It is the only place, the church, where you find emotional freedom. The world is full of people who are anxious, who are fearful, and you only get free in this space, in the proximity of the house of God. It is the place where courage is grafted in. It is the place where fear is overcome and where it is not just overcome, but where it is defeated. Okay, this is the place where real liberty and bondage is achieved. Uh, from bondage is achieved, not bondage. We get real liberty from bondage. Okay, don't get that wrong. <laughs> the place where boldness is infused. You ever seen someone who I was that person, so timid, so shy, but something happens when you give your heart to Jesus and when you encounter the truth of God's Word and when you have had the hell taken out of you, then you begin to get this boldness about you. And so it's the place where you get the opportunity to repent and to be forgiven. Like, come on. 
That has got to be one of the most powerful things of the church today. The opportunity to repent. The opportunity to change your mind. The opportunity to say, you know what? I'm functioning in this capacity, but I don't have to be that. I can change. I can be transformed. This is the place where you get heavenly support assigned to you. This is the place where supernatural power is transacted. This is the place where you understand that if I can get on my purpose, then I will have a divine protection because God always reserves a remnant in the earth to make sure His kingdom continues to move forward. And so I wanna encourage you because the church, the reason why we have church is not to just pop up a few chairs and to sing a few amazing songs that we sing. It's to come in here. It's to be the bastion of truth in the earth. It is to make sure that God's Word is continually being spoken to the next generation so that people can be free. And so we are not alone in this. You know, sometimes you feel like you're the only Christian on the planet, like I'm the Christian minority in my workplace. And you might be, but there is also heaven, a multitude in heaven. There is a majority in heaven that are cheering you on because you're part of something that is so much bigger than what you see on the earth today. So we we see this in Hebrews chapter 12. He talks about the great cloud of witnesses and this imagery of them cheering us on in our leg of the race. And I gotta tell you, there's times when I, I feel like I have to stand up and say some things that people aren't gonna like. And I just imagine the cloud of witnesses. Go Kira, say it, get them. Kill them with kindness and truth. And so... But, but here, you know, in Revelation, this is what it reveals. It's a picture. It's a picture of the culmination of everything coming together, the entire church age being wrapped up and, and, and coming back, and Jesus coming back for His bride. It's a picture of God's heart for His church, okay? Establishing His seen kingdom, His rule and His reign, His unseen kingdom, His rule and His reign in the seen element of the church, okay? And so, so when we understand this, the, we understand the significance of the church, then we can probably understand why God would go to the bother of getting an angel to deliver a message to John from Jesus for his church, okay? And so it makes me wonder that if Jesus were writing to the church today, I wonder what he would be identifying in us. Can I go there? Okay, because my husband has sort of touched on it a little bit. He's, he's um, talked about how, you know, complacency is kind of like the cancer of the church today. But I would say, and I'm only gonna give you one thing because usually people can't handle more than one thing, like one correction, right? So when you're, when you're counseling people at, in your job or whatever, just one, just one thing that someone could get better at, Okay. And I would just say that this one thing is compromise. Compromise is the opposite of obedience to God. And obedience to God is a really big deal. Uh, and obedience is, is a big deal because it, it shows honour to Him, which should be enough, but 
He also asks us to be obedient to Him because it keeps the devil out of our affairs. You know, when I was younger, you know, there was this saying like, you know, um, oh, it's just a white lie. Society would tell you, oh, it's just a white lie. It's just a little lie. You know, it's not a really big lie. It's just a white lie. Well, now society just blatantly lies and calls a lie a truth. Like we've come so far from little white lie to a little white lie to a really big, bold, straight out lie. And that's how society has shifted in its sphere. Our society has even gone to the extreme of calling sin a virtue. This is how you love people. This is what love is. We've changed the dynamic and we've changed the definition of the virtues of God and we've confused a generation. And you see, this agenda goes directly against the Word of God because for the believer, that means compromising. When we are not obeying the Word of God, that means compromising. You see, the problem with a little white lie or the big obvious one is it just leaves the door open for the devil. And when we leave the door open for the devil, it just corrodes our, our truth. And if you leave it open long enough, you'll just become disillusioned and you'll forget about the truth altogether. You'll be so far removed that you can't even recognise it. And so this is what Jesus is saying actually to the church in Pergamum. This isn't a new problem. This has been happening for a really long time. And He said to them, He said, the one thing I have against you is that you hold the doctrine of Balaam. Do you know what Balaam did? Balaam enticed the Israel, Israelites into sin through idolatrous and immoral practices. You can read about it in Numbers 20, 25. And pretty much the problem in the churches that Jesus addresses was the problem in the society or the city that they lived in. So it was the world getting into the church, okay? And so, so here he is, he's addressing this in the Old Testament um, and he's using an Old Testament illustration for the people of Pergamum because they would have understood the Old Testament revelation of that. Oh, we understand what happened there with Balaam. We understand how you disciplined that idolatry. So he's using that imagery so that they understand what he is saying. And so he uses things like the modern things, like the Nicolaitans. Now the Nicolaitans, they, they were a form of Gnosticism. Basically, they would come into the church and they would tell people anything goes. Because you love Jesus, you can do anything. It's okay, His grace abounds, it's abundant, you know. And so basically, the Nicolaitans were persuasive people, okay. So they, they were, they're known as one who conquers the people. That's what a Nicolaitan means, okay. Balaam actually means something similar, one who rules over the people, so when Jesus is coming to address the church in Pergamum in the book of Revelation, He's basically saying that some of your members in the church may have given in to social, may have given in to religious, may have been given in to economic pressures because of some of these loud, persuasive voices. And you know, I just wanna bring us back to Scripture today and just remind us that you are not asked by God to listen to the most persuasive person in the room. Nor are you asked to listen to the noisiest person in the room. You are asked to listen to the Spirit 
and understand what he is saying. It's just that I just feel that the church today, for, for many of us, because access to scripture or access to teaching is so available through social platforms, that we just obtain so many voices of so many things. And, and we have ears to hear what our political party leader has to say. And we have ears to hear what my friend says about that so, on social media. And we have ears to hear what everybody else is saying and not ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And so Jesus is calling His church back to His voice. You, you run off in this direction and the voices are so loud over here, but, but I'm calling out to you to come back to me. And so I say this because these spiritual forces of compromise, they've been at work infiltrating the church for years. It's not a new problem, it's an old problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's not a superficial, just seen political problem. This is a spiritual problem where the enemy has been moving through these things over time to just pull people away from God. And so the way God sees it and the way He addresses it, Christ addresses it with this church, is like a bit of a sting. Because the way that the person who brings the who brings the the idolatrous stuff into the mix, uh, the way that he disciplines them is the same way he disciplines those who tolerate it. And so he's basically saying here that toleration of sin is itself a sin, and you're going to pay the same price if you compromise. Okay, and so what he's basically saying is you can have the food of idols now, or you can have my banquet later but you can't have both. You're gonna have to choose. And so Revelation 22, chapter four, where he talks about this, he says, for those of you who do repent of this, and for those of you who you know, do ask for my forgiveness, then it says that they will see his face, my face, and my name will be on their foreheads. And I just feel under the Holy Spirit today that my assignment was just to remind us that you are not children of compromise. That's not your identity. You are children of God and you have been destined to bear the name of Jesus on your forehead. If you are a son and if you are a daughter of the Most High God, then you represent God, period. Like, can I talk about that for a second? Because, hi, my name is Kira. I am white and I am a brunette and I am a female preacher, but I am not up here representing the white brunette female preachers of the world. I have only been asked to represent Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that I will ever represent is Jesus Christ. That is the only thing He asks you to represent is Jesus Christ. And I just know that if Jesus were writing to His church today, I think He would identify our need to be more identified with Him. Not identified with that thing and that thing and this cause and that cause. All you need to do, let me simplify it for you today as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ on the earth today. All you need to do is identify with Jesus, represent Jesus, walk into the room with the power of Christ. He draws all nations unto Himself. 
So if you represent Jesus, you'll represent everyone. And so, and so he does this and he says, I don't, I don't want you to identify less with the culture of the world. Identify less with those labels and those tags. I want you to identify with the truth of who you really are, my son and my daughter. Does my church have ears to hear today what the Spirit is saying to His people? Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.